0: Hello, I'm Aaron Lohr and this is the Endocrine News Podcast. Today we're talking about sugars and appetite. Well, more specifically, we're going to be talking about a new study published in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism entitled, Appetite Regulating Hormones Are Reduced After Oral Sucrose Versus Glucose, Influence of Obesity, Insulin Resistance, and Sex. And joining us today is an author of that study, Dr. Kathleen Page, Associate Professor of Medicine at the USC Keck School of Medicine in Los Angeles. Thank you for coming on the podcast today, Dr. Page.
1: Yeah, happy to be here.
0: So your study looks closely at different kinds of sugars, like glucose and sucrose, and their impact on appetite-regulating hormones. Before we get into your exciting study, can you tell us a little bit about the sugars we generally take in as part of our diet, how they differ from each other, and why are those differences important?
1: Yeah, so glucose is a simple sugar or monosaccharide, and it's a building block of carbohydrates. So in foods, Glucose is commonly bound to other simple sugars to form disaccharide sugars like sucrose or lactose, which is milk sugar. Glucose is also a building block of more complex carbohydrates such as starches. Glucose is the main type of sugar that circulates in the bloodstream and a main energy source for our body. Sucrose is commonly referred to as table sugar. It's one of the most common sources of added sugars in our diet. It's a type of sugar that you might add to your coffee in the morning or the white sugar that's often added into cookies. Sucrose is made up of two simple sugars, glucose and fructose. So since sucrose is the main added sugar in our diet, we wanted to examine its effects on appetite regulating hormones.
0: So your study did find some significant differences between how glucose and sucrose affect those appetite regulating hormones. Let's talk about those hormones just for a moment. How do they typically function and why did you and your colleagues want to study how sugars may impact them?
1: So appetite regulating hormones are chemicals that are produced by the body in response to food and they provide signals to the brain to help control hunger. So these hormones are important in helping control what we eat, how much we eat, and consequently, they help to control our body weight. For example, when people lose weight, levels of hunger suppressing hormones drop, and that stimulates hunger. And so that's really one of the main reasons why it's so hard to maintain weight loss once we've lost weight. So in this particular study, we measured GLP-1 peptide YY and insulin, these are all hormones that are released in response to food and they help suppress hunger. And we also measured ghrelin, which is a hormone that's produced by the stomach. And one of the one hormone that we looked at that actually stimulates hunger.
0: So we know that sugars aren't acting alone on our appetites. There's other biological factors that we have to take into consideration. So what other factors did your study look at?
1: We know that not everybody responds in the same way when they eat even the same types of food or nutrients. And so a lot of us have a friend that might be able to eat whatever they want without gaining weight, whereas other people have to be very careful about what they eat because they might gain weight really easily, particularly with specific types of foods. And so the concept of personalized nutrition or giving people recommendation based on individual biology is important. It's something that we looked at in this study. So specifically, we looked at subgroups of people with different BMI categories. So BMI is weight for height. And we looked at BMI based on CDC criteria. So we had three groups, healthy weight, overweight and obese. And then we looked at biological sex. So we looked at how males and females might respond differently to the different types of sugar. And we also looked at insulin sensitivity, which is a measure of the body's ability to respond to insulin.
0: How did you go about studying the impacts of glucose and sucrose on appetite-regulating hormones, and what did you find?
1: So we studied 69 young, healthy adults between the ages of 18 and 35, and they came in for two study visits. We gave them drinks sweetened with sucrose on one visit and drinks sweetened with glucose in an equivalent dose on another visit. And we took blood samples over the next two hours to measure their appetite hormone responses. And what we found was that sucrose was not as effective at increasing hunger suppressing hormones when compared to glucose. And people with obesity were even less effective at increasing the hunger suppressing hormone peptide YY in response to sucrose. And then in terms of biological sex, we found that males were less effective at increasing GLP-1 in response to sucrose when compared to females.
0: If I heard that right, it sounds like sucrose may leave us feeling a little more hungry still when compared to glucose. Is there any uh, understanding as to why the sugars would have these different effects?
1: Yeah, so we found that hunger suppressing hormones were significantly lower after sucrose compared to glucose, but it's important to keep in mind that these studies were done over a relatively short time span of two hours. So we don't yet know how these differences will translate to longer term clinical outcomes, like changes in body weight. And in terms of why glucose and sucrose might have different effects on the appetite hormones, sucrose is a disaccharide, so it contains both glucose and fructose, whereas glucose is a monosaccharide. And so the differences in these structures may affect the way that they interact with tissues, which in turn influences their effects on the body. And in prior studies, we've shown that fructose produces lower levels of hunger-suppressing hormones compared to glucose. And so in this study, we were particularly interested in examining sucrose because it's one of the main real-world sugars that we consume as an added sugar in our food supply.
0: I noticed that in your study, you've seen the focus on young adults. Is there a specific reason why you focused on this age group?
1: Yeah, so we studied young, healthy people to give you know a straightforward approach to examining these hormone responses that wasn't confounded by disease states and so now that we know that there are differences that occur in healthy young adults that can set the stage for future studies to examine how sucrose compared to glucose affects appetite regulating responses in other age groups and in people with health conditions such as diabetes
0: and I know that you've probably been asked this a lot already, and so bear with me, I'm going to ask you as well. I know your study didn't look specifically at artificial sweeteners, but given what you've researched, is there reason to believe that they may have their own unique impact on appetite?
1: Yeah, so the effects of artificial sweeteners are sometimes called non-nutritive sweeteners. On appetite regulation and health is a very important topic, particularly as non-nutritive sweetener consumption continues to increase as we try and reduce our intake of added sugars. And so there's currently a lot of conflicting data in the literature with some studies showing that non-nutritive sweeteners are helpful for body weight, some studies showing no effect, and then other studies showing potentially adverse effects. So these conflicting findings probably are due in part to differences in study design, differences in the types of people being studied, and also differences in the specific types of artificial sweeteners that were studied. But given the controversies in the literature and the importance of this topic for public health, it's one of the main questions that our lab is actually researching right now.
0: This has been a fantastic conversation. I have to ask, what's next? It sounds like there's still a lot of gaps here that we'd love to fill in, a lot of curiosities we'd still like to unravel. So what would you like to tackle next?
1: Yeah, so I mentioned we're very interested in non nutritive sweeteners because of their increases in consumption of non nutritive sweeteners as we're trying to reduce our intake of added sugars. In our diet. So, we're looking at non nutritive sweeteners. We're looking at different types of populations. We're looking at children now. So, a lot of things on the horizon in our lab. We're also interested in the brain responses. So, we're using functional magnetic resonance imaging or fMRI to understand brain and peripheral interactions and how different types of sugars and artificial sweeteners might impact those responses as
0: well. Well, I look forward to seeing what comes next. I'm sure there's a lot out there who are just like me. When you start to put something in your tea, you wonder, is this the right choice? <laughs> you know, should it be this table of sugar? Should it have been an artificial sweetener? Should it have been honey? Should I not put anything in it at all? And, and studies like this, I think, really just help us to hopefully in the future make really good evidence-based decisions on what's gonna be best for us, um, especially even given some of our you know, if you're like me, you're a little overweight, maybe for me, it might be different than somebody else. And those are important things to know. Well, that's all the time we have for today. This has been a fantastic discussion. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Dr. Page.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And that's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed our discussion with Dr. Page. If you'd like to read her study, please see the link included in this episode description on endocrine.org slash podcast. And as always, thanks for listening. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.